It is a gorgeous day in the Grand Canyon. I'm gonna be here for actually a few days, if I'm lucky, uh, because I have a mechanical issue that uh, can get repaired. I had to order some parts myself. There is a garage here where they work on the Grand Canyon National Park trucks. And there's a dude there named Victor who is a diesel guy and he's a 7.3 diesel guy so that worked out really well so Victor's uh, gonna be able to fix this basically the pressure hoses for the brakes and uh, power steering gearbox failed just because of rust and age and all those issues and it's just bizarre that it happened here I was down the road at campground 10x and I was just gonna get ready to set up and it made a really horrible noise so I came back down here no brakes uh, no power steering so I am in Grand Canyon until this gets addressed on October 8th hopefully or 9th in the morning we'll see and they're gonna move me around to different sites hopefully I won't have to move too much because you have to go real slow because <laughs> there's brakes but they are not I mean there's brake fluid but there's no hydraulics so you really have to jam so that's what I'm doing and it's a great opportunity to do a podcast this isn't going to be kind of a walk and talk podcast in the sense that it's sort of light content but it is a piece of um, the series that I did on economics don't freak out I'm not going to get into all the numbers and the uh, you know the m2 and and the interest rates and all that stuff because that's not what I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about is the cost to the people particularly what is left of the middle class in America uh, in this podcast sharecropper nation podcast 1116 the Bob Davis podcasts I suppose at the end of this podcast you're gonna to need to meditate <laughs> maybe not you'll you'll need some time in a space that allows you to just relax I am in the Grand Canyon there's few spaces better in terms of uh, being able to relax and uh, and meditate I guess you could say but a garden in your backyard is the closest thing you'll have if you're in Minnesota or Wisconsin and for getting that done you want to talk to garden gurus mn.com they can do uh, as I have often said corporate they can do uh, real estate staging but they can really set you up with a nice garden uh, in a little space in your backyard maybe a chair or one of those cement uh, benches that you can just sit on and enjoy uh, being able to breathe because the pressure is building and this is why something like this which doesn't cost a fortune and is simple is really a great thing gardengurusmn.com no I'm not going to give you an avalanche of numbers in this podcast a lot of it is intuitive a lot of it is happening to us it isn't necessary to give you too many numbers although I did do a little research but you'll understand when I get to it uh, what the basis of that research was and I'm gonna do it off the top of my head so don't attack me if the numbers don't exactly add up it's the general idea and we're not sending a rocket to the moon here we're talking about the knock-on social effects uh, of 
what is going on in the United States and really the world. It isn't just the United States. So we'll get to all that in this podcast. I think the best place to start is, uh, well, there's two things. One, when I'm on the road, I get inspiration from places and things and people that I see. And I don't necessarily interact with people. I just watch people. And I stay in truck stops and I stay in Walmart parking lots and I stay in beautiful campgrounds and I stay with friends. And as a result, I have a lot of uh, flashes of, if you will, intuition and thoughts, especially when I lay my head down at night here in Mobile Podcast Command. The problem with these thoughts is that when you apply language to your thoughts, when you feel that you have to express your thoughts, or if you're a content creator and you express thoughts, right, the, the language pales in contrast to the thought because thoughts, things that we think, we think them uh, and they usually appear as feelings. Have I done the right thing? Is this uh, an accurate thought or do I, the, these kinds of things that come up, do I do this, do I do that, are also emotional. And it's very difficult to convey just the right level of emotion that a person has when they're thinking these things. The other thing is that when you travel through states, you're traveling through history. And I love history. And I know a lot of history. I have the, you know, the contours in my mind. And often I'll find myself fact-checking something that I thought and find out that indeed, yeah, you're not really, sort of, but here's the real story, right? I will tell you this, Oklahoma had a pretty significant effect on me from the historical perspective. And it wasn't Native American stuff and it wasn't, uh, anything other than as I traveled through the panhandle thinking about the Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, which was this great movement west of uh, migrant workers who were displaced by the Depression and by uh, a, uh, a drought off of land that they had enjoyed a couple of generations of a pretty good life in these towns out in the, the Oklahoma panhandle. The, the Dust Bowl is often given as a reason for why these sharecroppers from Oklahoma in the 1930s, 1935 through 39, um, moved off of uh, the land in Oklahoma in the Panhandle and headed over to California. Their objective was Barstow, where they felt they would have a future as migrant workers. This is the reality of these people who were barely hanging on by this point. And so they, their ambition was to be migrant workers when they started to move west. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what actually initiated this, because it wasn't the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl happened down in Texas, uh, a couple of hundred miles south of the Panhandle, and there were quite a few uh, Oklahomans down there doing that kind of work, doing farm work as uh, uh, migrant workers or actually sharecropping. And I'll explain what sharecropping is, if you don't know, at the time. But in the panhandle of Oklahoma, it wasn't the Dust Bowl that caused this movement west of thousands and thousands of people from an area that had been a good home for them for two, I would say, two or three generations. 
And I'll give you a little history about sharecropping, but I'm setting up why I wanted to do this podcast. The second thing is I was in a campground uh, in New Mexico. The sun had just set. In fact, it was twilight. It was dark. Looked up to see uh, the string of pearls that people equate with the launch of um, Starlink satellites. So they'll launch a number of these things at once and they form a chain of white light, white lights in the sky. If you don't know what it is, you'll think it's the aliens. Most people have seen it. Most people know what it is. I took a picture, just click, took a picture. And I was amazed that it actually came through because it was dark. So I posted that picture on Facebook. Actually, I posted it on Instagram and then uh, I've got a link in the Instagram uh, that also posts to Facebook, which I think I'm going to remove for the following reason. Just so you know, if you don't, most people use Instagram and Facebook uh, and other kinds of social media. When you post a picture on Instagram like that one, and it was a beautiful picture, people just like it or they, they, they say, um, hey, great picture or something like that. But when you post something on Facebook, it's, uh, it's automatically going to turn into some kind of an argument or some kind of an opportunity for somebody to make some kind of statement that is rooted in negativity, my brother. It's inevitable. Happens every time. So I monitor comments on Facebook and generally I will remove comments that are like that because they don't happen in other forms of social media. They're starting to happen on LinkedIn. It's another, I mean, both Facebook and LinkedIn have dropped way down in my estimation of a valuable or useful experience. I don't use X slash Twitter. I got out of Twitter years ago for the same reason. I don't want to argue with you and I don't want to know what you think about some political thing. And now I don't post stuff about politics. I post stuff about travel. I'm a guy who's traveling through New Mexico. I look up and I see this thing and I thought it was cool. Took a picture on Instagram. Hey, great picture. That is so cool. Heart, 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 etc. Right? On Facebook, I get uh, the first comment from uh, a friend of mine was uh, Oh, technology, you know, technology is ruining our lives, right? Uh, Another message of hope from the people that that brought you Facebook. So I wrote a lot of nomads like uh, Starlink because it means we can upload from anywhere. And it's a great signal. So uh, that's why people like it. Return statement is, well, don't get me wrong. I love technology, but we thought it was going to be so great. And it's turned this world into a dystopian, you know, hell. And that's basically paraphrasing what was said. And uh, my re- my response, I, I didn't really... Res- oh, yeah, I said you need to stop looking at TV screens and you need to stop scrolling and you need to start living. And you'll find that people are pretty great because that's what I've found. Uh, a lot of you on YouTube came to my YouTube channel from Peter Santinello. Somebody uh, just, I was at the Grand Canyon Village at this mechanics place, and some, the guy there said, uh, hey, I saw you on uh, Peter Santanello's on YouTube. And I said, yeah, and we were t- talking about Peter. Uh, and he said, you know, he, go, he goes so many weird places, it's a wonder he doesn't get the you-know-what kicked out of him. And I said, 
because Peter doesn't operate the, on that frequency. He is, he's not putting that out. He's putting out a brotherly, hey, I'm here to find out what's going on. He just finished this huge series about Appalachia, which is great, as well as some of the quote unquote Rust Belt cities. I've often talked about Gary, Indiana, and so forth. And they're great. And he was wondering how come he never gets beat up. Now, I don't, I haven't talked to Peter in a while, so I, but I don't think so. But he just doesn't put out that kind of vibe. And that was kind of cool to, uh, to uh, hear that. And also the, the fact that Peter just finished a series on, uh, on Appalachia and the people there and, you know, the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, the guy that I was talking to at this place said, yeah, I'm from there. So it's really, he goes, I can't wait to go see those because I said, you should watch those. They're great. I started to think about this whole thing, the, the Facebook thing and the, the negative comments and the, the true fear and loathing and uh, frustration and anxiety that people are under back in the world. I visit friends and aside from everything else, there is a, there's a, there's a feeling of anxiety. Scrolling and screening is really bad for your mental health. Then I thought, Maybe there's more to it. Maybe you're being judgmental because I really am living a fantastic life. You know, I don't have a lot of money. Uh, I'm stuck here uh, in, uh, at the Grand Canyon hoping to God that I ordered the right part from Amazon and that they can fix this thing because I have no brakes and no power steering. So getting down to, you know, uh, Flagstaff or Williams, which is considerably further down from the 6,300 feet or 6,700 feet we're at, is too dangerous or I would have gone. So, you know, uh, my life is not uh, without problems and not without issues. But in general, when I lay my head down and think, did I do the right thing going on the road permanently? I can say emphatically, yet, yes, especially after you hear the results of, uh, of my research recently for this podcast. Because in many ways, this is a sharecropper nation. And we'll talk about that in the second half of this podcast. Well, I'm very happy to report that uh, the price of oil is mitigating a little bit, starting to come back down, and that is always a good thing. And I uh, am a big frequenter of independent, uh, independently owned and operated refueling stations across the country because the, the deal on diesel is almost always substantial, like a big savings. So if you, are, you want to save some money on fuel, now I'm talking about gas, and you're in the Twin Cities, visit 36 Lynn, the independently owned and operated refueling station in Minneapolis. they got a great store. They've got a great attitude. Check out their Instagram feed. They are making waves in the convenience store and gas station industry, and you might not think that's a big deal, but what they're trying to do is pretty cool. Community involvement and also a great deal on fuel. So... Check them out, 36Lynn at 36Lynn.com. And visit. They're at 36th Street South and Lindale Avenue South in uh, Uptown, Minneapolis, Lynn Lake. Let me give you a little quick history of sharecropping. Sharecropping came up at the end of the Civil War so that freedmen, which is to say former black slaves, could make a living and they uh, their skills were primarily agriculture which is no big deal since that was the primary output at the time by far of the United States and that continued all the way up till the depression in 1929 and 1932-33 the idea was they would allow tenant farmers to farm plots of land 
And in the South, this basically turned into uh, a, a repeat of the uh, plantation system. Many sharecroppers in the South were black. Uh, the idea was that you would give something like one-third of your grain, corn, whatever, to the owner of the land, and I think something like half of whatever else you, you earned, and the rest of it was yours. So in the good years, you could make a little money, but the main thing is you had a place, a plot of land to work, and you had a place to stay, and um, the, the, the long history of black America kind of after the end of the Civil War, in many ways, kind of began in, in Alabama and uh, Louisiana and Mississippi and those places in terms of tenant farming. It was no picnic, let's put it that way. But a lot of those people's sons and daughters uh, moved north, uh, got on the train and went north, the city of New Orleans, let's say, uh, to Chicago and Detroit and got factory jobs and, and, uh, and so on. But in fact, there were a lot of white sharecroppers as well, especially in the West. In the Oklahoma Panhandle, you had a lot of uh, sharecroppers that came out 1860, 1880, 1870, and so on to work the land. Uh, and, and a lot of it was Indian land. So they, they allowed these white people to work Indian land as sharecroppers. And here again, you worked the land, you didn't own the land. Now, as time went on, uh, this particular place, uh, the Panhandle of Oklahoma, well, they initially planted wheat. And I should say, without getting too detailed, the, this is very thin soil in Oklahoma. It's not, it's not like the loam of Wisconsin and Minnesota, uh, you, where if you had 300 acres or 250 acres, 150 acres, you would produce enough uh, to buy the land and, be, and own it as a business, a businessman the first kind of real businessmen, farmers. In Oklahoma, uh, they, uh, they sharecropped and they planted wheat. Well, wheat's the worst thing that you can plant. I don't know if they planted corn, I didn't get that deep into it, but over time, what they realized is that that part of Oklahoma is cyclical. There are wet periods and there are dry periods. So from the time that people went out there in the 1880s and 1890s, it was a wet period or a moist or whatever you want to call it, a more, uh, you know, wet period, and then a drought hit. So long about eight, 1929, 1930, they got a drought, and then prices for um, agricultural products plummeted. And there were a lot of sharecroppers. So they basically were put off the land because they weren't able to to produce enough to stay on the land. And the, they, their solution was to move west, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, to, to their target was Barstow, where they could be migrant farmers. And this sort of, sort of movement west of these people began in 1930 or so and continued until about 1935, 38, 39. And uh, this is where uh, The Grapes of Wrath came from. It was published, I think, in 1939 from John Steinbeck. And there, actually, he wrote one version of it that he got he burned because he felt it was too judgmental and angry. Once they got to California, they had to compete with uh, Latin American workers and other Californians who were not too thrilled to have this influx of migrant workers. So it was a very tough road that these people had chosen. In a nutshell, how is that relevant in this podcast? And I may have gotten some of the facts, you know, twisted up uh, because I'm doing this off the top of my head for the, the whole uh, phenomenon of these people moving west on Route 66 to Barstow, California. 
to become migrant workers. Again, a dead end. How does this relate, Bob Davis, to this whole uh, sharecropper nation thing? Well, I decided to look up some basic numbers, not economic numbers. I didn't look up uh, the M2. I didn't look up inflation rates. I didn't look up, uh, you know, interest rates. I didn't want to get into why the, you know, yield curve is inverted or any of these things that you've heard about. I said, what is the average income of uh, the American worker? And it's about $56,000. The average hourly rate for American workers is roughly $28, $29 an hour. Here's where you get your tech guys, your um, welders to a certain extent, your laborers, your uh, first-year RNs, uh, second-year teachers. Uh, this doesn't make any judgment about whether they've had a lot of education or not, as well as tradesmen and people working in retail. The largest employers in the U.S. are the federal government, individual state governments, usually universities or healthcare institutions. Big companies like Safeway, uh, well, Albertsons, uh, Kroger, uh, Accenture, which is a which is a security company, um, you know, big accounting firms, IBM, um, and so on. It's not what you think. It's not Google and Facebook, even though they employ a lot of people worldwide. In in, in these individual states, so in Michigan, obviously, the auto workers are a big part of the uh, economy. Fifty six thousand dollars a year. Then you look at the expenses. So let's suppose you're married and you, you make 56 and your wife makes 49, or you you make 49 and she makes 70, right? You're in the $100,000 income range. The average price of a house is $418,000 at seven and three quarters percent. You do the math for your payments. That is in the roughly 25% tax bracket. Actually, it's in, the, in a higher tax bracket if you count both incomes, if you file jointly. A child costs roughly $17,000 a year. So if you have two kids, that's $30,000 a year. Uh, your transportation is roughly $800 a month, which goes up and down depending on fuel. Your energy costs go up and down depending on the price of fuel. Uh, and that's three or $400 a month. And we go on down the list. Entertainment is roughly $120 a month. Um, you know, uh, medical care, pharmaceuticals, uh, stuff for the kids, stuff because of your plantar fasciitis or whatever it is you have. Uh, okay, that's, you know, whatever it is, 200-some dollars. You, if you enter in Google uh, average consumer costs, you're going to get a whole list of things. And when you add them all up, including the taxes, state and federal and fees and all the things, guess what? There's no money left over. So what do people do? They go to credit cards, which currently are... Uh, revolving credit is roughly 24%. Um, if you're a business, so if you're a small business person, maybe you earn a little bit more money gross than $56,000, you need a business loan, you go to get a business loan, guess what? It's going to be 10 to 20 or more percent, depending on what you do and the history of your business paying loans back. When you add this whole thing up, what we are is a nation of people living hand to mouth. We don't own the means of production. So nobody's getting rich at Walmart or Target or any of these places. They're, they have good jobs, generally speaking, if you, if you stay long enough. But in general, the average salary at $28 an hour probably means that there's quite a few people that are making 17 or 14 or 13. 
and not $28 or $29 an hour. You'd have to be pretty skilled to make that kind of money. And what this all adds up to is people living hand to mouth. They rent and the rents are going up. The average rent is something like $2,100 a month, $1,800 a month, depending on what number you look for. Um, so they, they're renting. They have um, no reserves. They've spent all their cash reserves, despite all the money that Uncle Sam gave everyone during COVID. And they've been exposed over the past year to 10.8% inflation. And when they talk about inflation going down, oh, it's okay. It's going to go down to 2%. Well, that's still 2%. If we maintain 2% inflation, that means prices where they are now going up 2% a year or 4.5% a year. So where does the sustenance come from for these modern day sharecroppers? So if you own a business, at least you own a business. If you own property, and I mean own it, I don't mean the bank owning it, and you pay the bank every month, and 30 years from now, maybe you'll have. So uh, at seven and three quarters, if you buy a house at $418,000, after 30 years, you're going to pay $780,000 for that house. And uh, they'll say, yeah, but you get a big tax deduction. So isn't that wonderful? Well, it's wonderful, except my car payment is $700 a month. I have two cars. I have to get the other one fixed. I have gas to put in it. I have two kids playing hockey. Uh, you know, that costs four or $5,000 a year. And I could go on down the list, depending on what your situation is. We don't own, we are renting, even if we uh, bought a house. So this is a problem right now. And this is why uh, this actually is the font of all of this crazy behavior. What do people do? Well, they drink and they smoke dope because they lay their heads down at night and they don't know where they're going to get the money to buy the seed for this year's crop. The number one cause of separations and divorce, which are very ugly. And if you watch court TV or any of these shows uh, on YouTube about court, it's horrible what people do to each other and the number one cause of divorce and and relationship strife is financial. To close this uh, rather grim statement, the answer is not to expose yourself to ex inflation. And that is why so many of us have gone on the road partially. Uh, I went on the road because a voice told me to. I didn't make it a financial calculation, but it has turned out that I am not exposed to a mortgage payment. I'm not exposed to an electric bill. I'm exposed to fuel and I'm exposed to, you know, what campsites cost occasionally. Uh, and I'm exposed to having to order fuel lines for, you know, fuel pressure lines uh, unexpectedly, things like that. But in general, we are happier because we're not exposed to it. And I'm not crowing about it because... It, if the numbers in terms of the economy are true and things start slowing down and people start losing their jobs, what do you think is going to happen? And I'll just leave it at that. So the final thought in this whole thing is to understand that in 1930, 1929, when the Great Depression hit, nobody knew what had happened. Nobody understood what was going on. It wasn't because they were stupid. It wasn't because um, the sharecroppers made terrible decisions. They were just doing what they had to do. And most people at that time just put one foot in front of the other. My grandfather owned two grocery stores in mining country in Ohio. 
and he put my grandmother in charge of the stores and we, he went out on the road and started selling for some cracker company because that was all he could do. And they extended a lot of credit to people because there was no money and a lot of it they didn't get back. My mom's dad and mother, she was a, a store detective and he was a, a bodyguard and a, a, a county clerk in the county that, that where we, they grew up and some other things. And he protected the governor and they had a really good life before the stock market crash. After the stock market crash, they had to move into a, a house with other people. And my mom's best friend, Phyllis Zerbe, disappeared. Later, my mom was on a bus in Columbus, Ohio, and she saw Phyllis, and she went up and said, oh, Phyllis, you know, this is like maybe even during the war. This was like 1939, 1940. Where have you been? And Phyllis was like, you didn't even know. We moved, we moved across the block. We were down about a quarter of a mile away from, from you. Well, why didn't she contact me? Because uh, we were embarrassed and ashamed that we had to go move into a house with a bunch of other people and my dad lost his job. We lost our house. So for 10 years, my mom didn't know what happened to Phyllis until they happened to be on a bus some years later. This is what happens when these economic calamities hit. It has a real cost in terms of individuals. And if you root around and talk to old people in your family and ask them about the depression, you'll hear some of those stories if you listen long enough. And there's plenty of them. So this is no joke. Those sharecroppers in 1930, they didn't know what had happened. They, they didn't know they weren't supposed to plant wheat. They didn't know that the land uh, had a wet and dry cycle. They didn't know that the economy had collapsed and deflation had taken over and a loaf of bread was 10 cents. Uh, and so there was no market for their products. They didn't understand any of that. They didn't know anything about the stock market. All they knew was what they could do is they could, they could be market workers. They knew how to pick. They knew how to plant. They knew how to be farm workers. And that was their lot after they left Oklahoma. Suffice it to say, uh, after the Depression and the war, this is a completely different country. So I don't know what's ahead for us. But we have some big economic problems that are not getting solved. And I don't know how people can afford $418,000 houses, $100,000 cars, $17,000 a year children, $800 a month for uh, heat and transportation. So that's $1,600 there and on and on and on and continue being happy, thrilled people because these are the things that put lines under your eyes. And these are the things that break marriages. And these are the things that break people and countries. I don't want to go on too much longer. I just want to say thanks for the contributions to the Bob Davis podcast. I'll do a longer list of thank you. Thank you for subscribing to the Bob Davis podcast at iTunes. Thanks for subscribing at YouTube. You don't have to give me a contribution. If you subscribe on YouTube, uh, and you like a video or you subscribe uh, to to this podcast on, on Apple or iTunes, rather, uh, or any of the other places, um, Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts, and make a positive comment. That is more than enough, and I appreciate all the support. Uh, it's not a real good time right now, especially if you're back in the world. We don't notice it as much. And I, I lose my patience sometimes when I get these super negative comments. And then I forget 
what people are dealing with back in the world, the stress that they're dealing with as we as you are fully exposed to the storm. So thanks for listening to Bob Davis Podcast 1116. Share Cropper Nation, the Bob Davis Podcasts. <laughs> Yeah.